Hi everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show and thank you very much. This show is sponsored by BitGuild.io, redefining the relationship between players and developers by facilitating full and true ownership of in-game assets. And by Unibright, the unified framework for blockchain-based business integration. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron, and I don't know about you, but I'm concerned. And I'm concerned with my data. Cambridge Analytica, Facebook, they're not hacking systems. They're not hacking servers. They're hacking the people. They're taking your data. They're collecting your clicks, your likes, your browses, your searches, comments, creating profiles about you, and understanding how to manipulate you, us, we, the people. What can we do about it? Well, today I'm talking to Roger Heine of Datum, and Datum is aiming to put the control of data, your data, our data back into the individual's control, my control, your control, not on a server in Facebook, not in Google, controlled by you. Is this a good idea? Can this really work? Do they have a good plan? And what is the future of our data? Well, we're going to talk about that in this conversation with Roger, and we're going to get to the bottom of their company, Datum, and if this is a really good solution to the problems that we're having and the problems that we're seeing in the world right now with Cambridge Analytica, Google, Facebook, Amazon, you name it. But before we get into that conversation, please go to Crypto101Podcast.com. That's Crypto101Podcast.com. Send us an email. Say what's up. Would love to hear from you. Go to our Patreon page. Become a patron. The patrons are our backbone to our community. And we put up episodes, rants, commentaries, and some hidden gems of conversations up there just for the patrons. Also, please check out our Facebook page. Our Facebook community is a great place if you have any questions, resources, or what have you to share. And also, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Rate us and leave us a comment. It helps us stay on the top charts so that people can find us. And if you like the show, please tell your friends, family, co-workers to listen and subscribe. Without further ado, here's my conversation with the CEO and founder of Datum. Roger, thank you very much for coming on Crypto 101. Thanks for having me. So you're all the way over in Zurich right now. How's the weather? Oh, the weather is excellent. You know, it's a Sunday, so I'm actually uh, up in the mountains right now and just looking to teach my son how to ski for the first time. So, yeah. The reason why we're inviting you on at this point is I think everybody knows about the Facebook Cambridge Analytica thing that's going on right now. Your company, Datum, is putting control of people's data into their own hands, not in the hands of Facebook or Google and things like that. So what I would like to do is I would like to first go through a little bit about Datum, then go through about how it works, and then how this company, your company, can help people in the future from things that are happening right now with the Cambridge Analytica scandal, data collection, election manipulation, whatever it is. We can just go through all of that and see sure. how, how blockchain can help this. 
So first question, what is Datum? Datum is, is two parts. The first part is a decentralized database where you own the private keys that encrypt your data. So that basically means that you are the owner of the data, you're in control, and you have full transparency over who accesses this data, who this data is shared with, and who this data is sold to, right? Because we're actually not about locking away the data. We want to unlock access to more data, but by the right parties, by the right people that treat your data responsibly. So that's the first part. The second part is the data marketplace. So it's one thing if you have personal data that you want to store for yourself. So for example, your family photos on Dropbox. But the data that we're talking about that Cambridge Analytica harvested from Facebook is really data that's only valuable in the context of it being shared or sold to someone and someone being able to provide a service to you. So that's basically what Datum tries to do. And we started now with something called the Datum app, which is a mobile app that people can download. It's out now on Google Play and you can basically securely share your email address, for example, which can then be used by advertisers to send you promotional emails. And instead of the middleman getting paid, we essentially take the revenue that comes from the advertisers and return that to you. So in the form of our debt token. And um, that is not the big vision of Datum. We really want to build this database that can be used by third parties, by developers to basically secure the data collection in their own services as well. But this data map is really the first showcase of what can be done. And it shows very neatly also how much data is worth. So for example, for emails, just to receive one email and keep in mind in our system, your email is not directly shared with the advertiser. So the party that buys the right to send you an email never actually receives the email. So that's part of our security system. But just receiving one email is worth up to 10 US dollars. We have other data sources live in the app, for example, background location data. Now, it's very interesting that background location data, which basically means um, all the places you have gone to within in one month, that is only worth between one to 10 US cents a month for an American customer and less if you're outside of the US. So it's also really interesting to see, right, how much different types of data are actually worth, how they're being used by what kind of parties and for what purposes. I'm a little confused by that explanation. Let's just take an average person. Let's just call him Johnny. Johnny, download your app. And now let's talk about the future. Let's not talk about the present. Let's talk about where you want to go. So five years from now, 10 years from now, Johnny has his Datum app. What would Johnny do? How would he log in? And what would he control? And what would you be able to sell? And how would this exchange work with the DAT token? At the moment, if you download a free app, mostly what happens is that there is a login with Facebook or login with Google button. And you use that to have this kind of single sign-on experience. You don't necessarily want to create a new account. But by doing this, you're actually sharing data into the Facebook or Google data silos and the developers have access to this data. So we want to provide a simple alternative to that. So we want to replace the login with Facebook with our alternative. This could either be branded um, through Datum, which is what we're doing now, but really in fact, Five years, our vision is that people would basically implement this as a white label service. So they can provide their own login to users. But of course, this login, you know, can be shared and, and federated. So if you have a datum login, you can use that if you have any other login that is compatible with our system. And so we're, we're open sourcing um, all of these parts, right? So it's feasible that other projects would, would use the same login and identity to basically uh, store your data. So the future is really instead of using centralized accounts that sit 
at Facebook and Google and they control what happened to this account. You're essentially using the same wallet that you use for Bitcoin or Ethereum at the moment. And we are able to attach data to this wallet. And this changes the game completely because you're the only person who controls this wallet. So it's not one party that actually has access to your password, which is what Facebook and Google are doing now, right? So they know all about you and they can reset your password at, at any time. And that's really the security risk. So you're basically trusting them to store your data in a secure manner. So in the future, you could have something, either a datum wallet or some white labeled version of that. The private keys in that wallet are used to then encrypt and secure your data. So all the data that is produced is first of all encrypted with your keys and only you can access it. And then under certain policies, you can delegate access to this data either for free or against money to various third parties. An important thing is by using encryption and by using blockchain, this public ledger, which tracks what's going on and which is, uh, you know, immutable, it can't be tampered with by third parties, you really get visibility of, okay, what data is actually being stored on my user profile? What happens to this data? Who is accessing this data? Um, and who is paying for this data. And you'll be able to, for example, say in the future that you are okay to, for your data to be used for advertisement purposes, but not for political uh, retargeting. This Facebook and Cambridge Analytica situation just showed that even though Facebook was not, you know, technically hacked, so it's not a hacker that gained access to Facebook databases, they basically, through their APIs and interfaces, allowed a company like Cambridge Analytica to extract all the data that was relevant to them. And so this is really what we want to tackle. What does Datum do right now? Right now in the Datum app, when you download the app, you're basically creating a datum wallet. Mm -hmm. And then all the data that is collected by our app, for example, at the moment, your email address, some segmentation and profile information and your location data is then securely attached to the private keys inside that wallet, which means it. that the data is all stored encrypted and you're the only one who can basically delegate access to this data. This is a really important point, right? One of our main um, problems is actually educating users. Why is this better and what do we do differently? And why is it actually bad to rely on, on parties like Facebook and, and Google to build these huge databases, right? We're really trying to go after these big centralized data silos and trying to pull them apart and introduce a a governance that is more widely distributed, right? And that is something that blockchain helps you to do and decentralization in general, right? Why, why should there be one or two large corporate entities that control vast majority of the online digital data out there? We're just trying to democratize that and, and you know, introduce a governance where more people have a say in it instead of just these two big players um, deciding what happens. So with a solution like yours, what would a company like Cambridge Analytica do to get their data? And how would it change the way data is used today? So now when your email goes in, for example, right, you can decide who you want to share this email with in, in different ways. And um, you can either say, well, I don't care. I'm, I'm you know, happy to share this email with, with anyone at any anonymous party. So, of course, in this context, anyone can come in, even Cambridge Analytica and use it. But then you can also say, hey, I'm only happy to share this in an advertising context with trusted sort of parties. And there are certain terms attached to that, right? For example, you're only allowed the email to be used for, for direct advertisement, but not for things like, again, for example, political uh, retargeting. And because our system makes it transparent, who is the buyer? And the buyer can be anonymous or the buyer can be a trusted source. But it's up to you, right, to, to set these levels and say, hey, I only want to sell to trusted sources, which are basically identified companies that, you know, agree to, to obey to certain terms. And we don't have this right now, but in the future, we'll also have a 
staking system, which basically means that these companies have to put up a certain security bond to get it to certain types of data. So it's a bit similar like the fines that the GDPR, this new law that is coming on 25th May or becomes active on 25th May in the, in the European Union, the General Data Protection Regulation. So this new uh, policy or regulation introduces fines up to about 4% of annual revenue of companies. Um, and we plan to have a similar kind of staking system in the future to ensure that people that do buy your data are also kind of financially bound to, to treat it responsibly. But I think that the big important thing in the first step is just transparency. So if you go into our system, you can actually see. So at the moment, this, this email right is shared with advertisers and you can go in and see who actually bought this email. What's the name of the advertiser? And even that little bit of transparency would have already helped in a case like Cambridge Analytica. Now you basically don't know who accessed this data, right? It goes into Facebook and then basically various parties access this, but it's not really transparent to you who. Why would a company allow this? I mean, look, Facebook is building their business off of collecting data. So is Google. This is this is what they do. You use it free so they can get your data so they can sell it and become billionaires. Why wouldn't they just say, yeah. if you're logging in with Datum, you just can't. So you have to log in through yeah, Facebook. Yeah, sure. Uh, we don't expect them to ever allow, uh, you know, login um, uh, through Datum. However, so there is there's two points here. So Facebook and Google together control about 60% of the online um, digital advertisement market. But there is this other 40%. And these two companies basically have gotten too large already. And if you look what happens in the European Union, so the GDPR is actually able to force, you know, even these large two players to change how they treat your data. And so, you know, we think it's going to be a combination of one, the regulation side, which again in the European Union is, is really helping us a lot already. And then two, there is a market outside of Facebook and Google. And, you know, at the moment, many people are deleting their Facebook profiles. And I don't think that is really a viable long-term pass forward. So people deleting their Facebook profile and going to a, a smaller social network, because actually that's exactly the draw of Facebook, that they do have the largest user base. And what good is it if you use a social network that doesn't have your friends right. on? But for a lot of um, these advertisement contexts, for example, a shift can happen much more quickly because you, you're not really you know, actively sharing this data with advertisers now. But our advertisers pay up to 10 US dollars because we offer much superior targeting models to what even Facebook can offer because our data comes directly from the user and it is permissioned by the user to be used for this specific purpose. So I would say in the future, you know, Facebook will, will start to struggle to get permission from users. Under GDPR, users have to actively opt in to allow people like Facebook to use this data for advertising and for any other purposes that are not directly primary purposes or primarily uses to deliver the service of Facebook to you, right? I'm sorry, and what, for what you is GD, GDPR? general data protection regulation. And this is a big new law that becomes active in the European Union this year on 25th of May. This law returns some of the data ownership to you as an end user. There's important things there that this law prescribes. First of all, the transparency. So companies need to share with you how is this data being used. Secondly, the companies are only allowed to collect data if they use this data for the primary use of delivering a service to you. What that means, if you open a bank account, they can't ask you anymore for the name of, of your mother and your grandmother and things like that, which some banks are still doing. This is not within reason of opening this bank account. Right. Thirdly, they need to give you the right to control this data. That means you get the right to delete this data or correct incorrect um, information, uh, basically update um, data. And then there's a few things that are not so well known, but they are very interesting. There's a paragraph in there that says if this data is used by, for example, AI to create new data. So think about things like credit scoring, right? Mm -hmm. So you 
you give data to a company and a company uses an algorithm to determine your credit worthiness. Now, this GDPR law stipulates that you actually have the right to ask the company to first of all uh, know how this score was derived and secondly to ask them for a human review, right? Because this computer algorithm could basically destroy your life. So this law is very important because it only affects the European Union directly. But even the big companies like Facebook and Google are basically looking to implement this for all users. It's very hard for companies to start saying, hey, for European users, we do things like this. And then for people in America, we do it a bit differently. Other countries are starting to develop similar laws like this GDPR framework. So basically, we see a lot of companies saying, hey, we apply these new laws under GDPR to our whole global user base. This will return, uh, you know, a lot of uh, rights to you as an individual user um, um, starting in May. And I'm sure many of you have already started receiving some emails from also the big players like Facebook and Google about their steps that they're taking to be compliant and all the new tools that are uh, available to you. And, and I'm excited for this will be very interesting times, right? Just to find out, okay, what data did companies actually collect? And also what data did they create out of that data, right? Mm -hmm, so what mm -hmm. are some of the things they found out about you? Yeah. I've been listening to a lot of news on, on this topic. And it's just interesting that they're trying to figure out by the way you clicked, by the what you write, how you write it, what kind of maybe mental disabilities you have and <laughs> which you know political leanings that you would have, your job, your education, and, and everything just by how you write, what you write, and when you write it, or click, or like, or you do use hearts or thumbs ups. I don't know. It's a it's pretty interesting. Yeah, and keep in mind, Cambridge Analytica, at least in the beginnings, a lot of what they do, psychological profiling, came out of some academic projects over in the US where they basically took Facebook data and analyzed this to discover which veterans may be at risk for PTSD, right, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and they were very successful in doing that. And by doing that, they figured out, hey, we can actually create these psychological profiles that seem to be pretty accurate. And now just think, like, if this kind of seems to work in in the medical space to not give a diagnosis, but, you know, with a certain correctness, tell you, well, this person may be at risk for this disease, right? And of course, it can be used for things like influencing your, your political opinion. And just think when you browse the internet, I'm sure sometimes you're amazed by simple advertisement that are just so on point of what you were just actually looking for. And these things use very basic data, right? They don't use the same kind of data that Cambridge Analytica um, started to harvest through the surveys, right, where they can basically get you to answer exactly the questions and collect exactly the data that they need to create these psychological profiles. And even in the advertisement space, these advertisers can also already do amazing things. And just again, with Cambridge Analytica being able to collect precisely the data they want. Yeah, so I think we've only seen the tip of iceberg, you know, in terms of what we can actually find out about a person just by looking at the data that is, for example, in their in their Facebook profile. This has really only started in the last few years. And then I'm sure we're going to see much more um, scary things come out of that. I'm not convinced that anybody's going to want to use this system. If they make a system and they get mass adoption or even a little bit of adoption, then it'll just, you know, snowball and people start using it and they'll say, well, I have your data and this app has your data. Everybody, everybody has your data already. Who cares? We're not going to accept datum. So I'm, I, I'm still a little bit wondering how this is going to implement. But my real question yeah. is, I have control of my data. I'm using datum. I'm logged in. I'm doing my things. I'm clicking. I'm liking. I'm, I'm sending this, that, and the other thing, tagging people. Now I want to sell my data. What's your pricing looking like? I have all all this data and I'm going to start selling it. You said $10 for an email, but now I'm just like, you know what? I don't really give a shit. I want to make some money with my data. I'm on social media all day. Could I turn this into a full-time job? 
Yeah, so look, we, we've talked previously about making a small contribution to a sort of basic universal income, right? Because what everyone creates throughout the day, no matter where you are, is, is basically data and this data is worth money. Um, so we have a calculator on calc.data.org where you can kind oh, of cool. see how much are some of these large companies making per year on you. So the metrics are very simple. We just looked at the ARPU, the average revenue per user that companies like Facebook and others are making of you. And you can see that um, if you participate in, I think it was about 20 companies that, that are in our calculator, that amounts to about 2000 US dollars yearly worth of revenue that these companies are able to make off of your data. And so, you know, it's not a replacement for your job, but it's certainly, you know, a welcome addition. And then the other thing I'd like to point out is what we are seeing at the moment is that actually data in developing markets is relatively speaking more valuable compared to what people earn in those markets, right? Uh, so a good example is like if you're someone living in New York and then uh, you sell your email for five or 10 US dollars compared to what you're actually earning every month, that that is not that much. But so we were looking at data from someone in, in Central Africa. So really, you know, in a, in a very remote place, people live off very little there, maybe 100 US dollars or less per month. The one thing that's common is they all have a phone nowadays. But even the data of this person um, is valuable to the right buyer. And in, in that context there, we, for example, found that a company that does microloans in Africa and they said, look, guys, we actually have very little data on the people, right, to determine if we can give them these microloans. And we'd be willing to pay a few US dollars, right, for data, you know, of persons for this purpose of offering them um, loans. And then these few US dollars are so much more meaningful to someone who lives off 100 US dollars a month. So this is certainly a trend that we're seeing. There is vast amounts of data in developing markets. And this data has, has not been kind of mined at the scale for example, that data has been mined on the U.S. market. Even outside of Facebook and Google, the U.S. online advertising market accounts for about 50% of the global um, online advertising market. U.S. is just a really mature market. So data is actually interestingly worth kind of a little bit less in the U.S. just because there are so many data sources available already. I'm using the data calculator right now. This number of U.S. dollars pops up. Is this how much they're making off me per year, per month, per, per year? Per year. Okay, so I'm just going to put this out here right now. So I'm sharing location data for my full profile on YouTube. And YouTube is making $242.26 off me per year. Google yeah. is making $437.49 per year. And Skype is making $480 a year for my location data. How accurate is this? So the numbers were taken from the revenues that these companies make. And so you have to look at their detailed and business model. But for example, for Google, we believe this is highly accurate because the most money that, that Google basically makes comes from, from their advertisement system. And so the way this works is if you're you know using Google search, of course, you know, uh, ads are being shown to you. And the more data Google has on you, the more um, targeted ads it can show you. And actually, if you look at Google AdWords, the platform that advertisers use, it's very common and average bit for just one click would be something like one US dollar. But if you are a diabetic person in the US, that jumps up to 10, 20 US dollars per click just because you're in a niche in such high demand. And it's kind of, you know, so lucrative to sell services to you again as a diabetic, right? So yeah, um, I mean, these numbers are, are ballpark figures. They're just taken from the average revenue per users that these 
companies self-report. But in the context of email, for example, the way what we're doing in the Datum app, we're actually seeing that we can return more money than these numbers to you, right? So, I mean, Google is not directly making 10 US dollars of you opening one email. But in our case, our advertisers are willing to pay that much to reach you directly. And so we believe in some specific use cases with, with Datum, we can actually provide much more back to you than what these companies are, are actually making. And then also keep in mind, they are keeping a lot of margins um, back on this stuff as well, right? They sell at very high margins to advertisers. You know, we don't take a percentage of each transaction in the Datum network. Specifically for this email use case, we do take a little cut because not Datum as a network, but Datum as a company, we are the ones who are sending out these emails and then, you know, deleting the email after we we did that. So we're providing a little service there that where we are actually uh, taking a cut. But the idea basically is that we take the money from the advertisers or whoever the data buyer is at basically return um, almost all of this money directly to you and then it's it's arguably we can give you more for the data than the current large players who basically take a huge margin right which goes into their profit that'd be really cool i think that a lot of people would probably just sit at home and make data all day trying to make a little extra money we're starting to integrate third-party sources where i mean you're creating this data by your behavior but you are not you know typing in some data so it's not like actually cambridge analytica which put a survey on facebook right where you actually answer answered five questions. You know, this type of survey works very well. But as soon as you start to kind of reward people for doing that, of course, everyone just sits there and fills out these surveys. So we're actually looking at currently integrating with many SERP parties, right, to collect data that you actually produce. But it's much harder for you to kind of just provide fake data for that. And we are in the crypto space at the moment. So in the next few weeks, we're launching a new feature where you can enter an Ethereum address, sign a message that proves that you own this Ethereum address, and then basically sell of this information of, for example, how much Ethereum you have in your account, right, to advertisers in an anonymous fashion. So the advertiser doesn't know who you are. This information is only, you know, stored in the datum network. But an advertiser can say, hey, I want to send a message to, you know, people that have over 10 Ethereum in their account. And if you look at the cryptocurrency space at the moment, this is exactly what the advertisers want. I mean, there's all these token sales out there. They just want to reach people that actually have Ethereum in their wallet. Because if they do traditional advertising now, they reach a lot of people that are interested in their message but these people they don't even have a crypto wallet yet right. and we all know how difficult it is right to buy your first bitcoin or buy your first ethereum <laughs> right. it's actually very difficult if it, it wasn't i wouldn't have a job <laughs> yeah yeah and now a word from our sponsor bitguild BitGuild's mission is to completely redefine the relationship between players and developers by facilitating full and true ownership of in-game assets, cheap and safe item trading, and cross-game compatibility of items, currency, and more. For gamers, maintain full ownership and control of your virtual items through the BitGuild wallet. Sell and trade items and currencies at will anytime, anyplace, safely, securely, cheaply, sometimes even free. And for developers, it's a direct link to an established player base with a strong community, an instant network of like-minded developers building for the same platform. BitGill's token sale is now live. It started on March 15th, 2018 and goes until April 5th, 2018. So head to bitguild.io. That's B-I-T-G-U-I-L-D.io. Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Ufi Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. 
That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months. But don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recorded, they're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy video lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have, and it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one with the three-in-one. You don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy video lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy video lock. That's E-U-F-Y video lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y video lock. Eufy video lock. Get complete control over your front door. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Learn more, get whitelisted, and take part of the public token sale. Now, back to the show. Unibright.io Unibright is a team of developers with 20-plus years of experience in business integration. Nowadays, most companies have strong interest in blockchain technology but struggle to use it. That's why Unibright created the Unibright Framework. Unibright makes it easy to integrate blockchain technology into existing businesses. All you have to do is pick a template that fits your specific case, customize the business integration workflow, then Unibright will automatically generate all objects you need for blockchain-based business integration, smart contracts, smart adapters, and smart queries. For more information, go to unibright.io. That's U-N-B-R-I-G-H-T dot I-O. Their token sale starts April 10th, 2018. And now, back to our show. With this whole 
Facebook Cambridge Analytica thing that came out. What were you thinking personally? If you're making a company that gives people more power with their data, when you saw this happen, what was your thought? What did you think? Were you outraged? Were you like, we have to go harder? We have to go stronger? This is what I made the company for? Or were you just like, yeah, I knew this was happening? Actually, this story uh, was already out a few uh, months ago. It only blew up recently with, uh, you know, one thing, these videos that the British um, TV channel released, right, which, which were undercover right. recordings of what the Cambridge Analytica CEO was, right. was saying. But actually, uh, Cambridge Analytica themselves had already publicly stated, like months ago in an interview last year, their CEO had said that they have data on actually 80 million um, Americans with a few thousand data points each. So this has been out months ago. So it's only, you know, blown up recently. But for us, we were always of the opinion, hey, this is, you know, already happening at, at very uh, large scale. And this is exactly why we started Datum. And, you know, like just before doing Datum, I was working in, a, in another startup, which was working on sort of a Fitbit for babies, right? So a health tracking device for babies. And this data is super sensitive because it's of minors, it's of children, of babies. And then what can we, what power can we give the parents to decide if they actually want to share or sell this data to companies like Pamper or Huggies or, you know, to big pharmaceutical companies or if they want to share it for free with certain research projects. And and that was really kind of a bit of a tricky thing to to solve as, as a little startup. And that's where the, this idea came out. Hey, why is there not actually some stuff built on top of the common cloud databases that we as developers use that, first of all, make it easy to build this system to have data transparency and give the user control of over the data? And secondly, make it easy to actually share and sell this data with the right parties. And so, look, there is things like Apple HealthKit, for example, on iOS at the moment that aggregates a lot of your health data. And this data could be very valuable to many researchers, but there's still kind of this central party of Apple deciding, right, who gets to access this or not. And Apple is, you know, famous for, you know, uh, only allowing the things they feel are correct, right? And so what happens is that this university in the US, for example, can have very easy access. But if you have a university somewhere in Iran or Pakistan, right, then it gets really hard for them to make the case to Apple and get approved to get access to this health kit data. And we don't really think that is right. And that is actually a big problem that the researchers are facing, right? How do we get access um, to this data? Also Fitbit, for years, they have made it very hard for researchers to actually get at raw data out of Fitbit bands. And at some point in the past, they were basically selling this product to researchers where it said, hey, if you do a little study with 10 people and you give them Fitbits, you can pay us something like 40 US dollars a month and then we'll give you the raw data, right, for each of your subjects. But that means you can only do a small study with 10 people. It's already going to cost you a fortune, right? And these, these are just decisions that are made by these companies that collect these vast amounts of data, but they don't really have any motivation to share this again with, with researchers and non, you know, non-profits for the common good. And this is something we also want to do with Datum, right? We want to get data in there. And this is driven by monetization. That is something once you realize this data is worth something, you also motivated, right, to, to find out, hey, how is this data stored and who is this data shared with? But then once you realize the power and the value that lies in this data, it's much easier for you to decide, hey, I'm okay to share my health data actually with researchers. This is something that I want to do instead of waiting for Apple to allow anyone to do this. 
I want to know more about you. Why did you make this company? Why are you the CEO and founder of this company? It's very easy for you to be the most hated person in the world by a data slip or a wrong PR from your company. So I guess to clear the air, where does your motivation come from and how much responsibility do you take with collecting this data? First of all, we are trying to build the data network to be secure by design. So ultimately, you are the one you know who controls the private keys um, and we're building the network in a way where it's basically the code that guarantees the security and you know the implementation and the algorithms of it so just look at something like bitcoin you don't have to trust any centralized party there it's really the blockchain right that secures uh, every bitcoin and of course you know there may be bugs in it but so far that has worked out there and this is a huge and enormous um, challenge for us right how do you build a public blockchain that is really secure and of course you know that doesn't uh, happen overnight my personal motivation i've been in big data or big data related uh, industries for over 15 years now. So I started in the telecom business doing very early black and white mobile apps. But of course, um, there, there was huge amounts of data being um, collected there. And the mobile operators basically, you know, had a direct relationship with you as a customer. So they, they knew your real name. They know where you live. They know what kind of websites you, you were looking at through the mobile network and so on. And I just saw at what level data was already being exploited in these cases. And it was very common for mobile operators to basically sell leads to companies at that time. So nowadays, this is super common in the online ad space. So 10 years ago, it was common at some telecom operators that, that they would send around databases in CSV or Excel format. And these databases contained all secretive and sensitive customer data, right? So it contained your real name, your address, credit card information, and so on. Of course, there were procedures around how you had to treat this Excel file, right? right. But come on, always accidents happen. Someone left the Excel file on some USB stick. So this is really where my motivation comes out of saying, hey, look, what GDPR, what this new law is doing is it's, it's imposing heavy fines on companies that do leak your data. But why can't we find also technical solutions that basically make it super hard or near impossible for people to do wrong to begin with? So instead of relying on companies to do the reporting, why can't we have a database where all access is audited and, you know, authorized by this blockchain? layer that is really, really hard to, to hack. And that is embedded and grained in the system. And in that way, any access to data is basically tracked and audited. And it's not down to, you know, one employee at a company to, you know, not forget the process of how to treat this data. You touched on the technology of why it's secure on the blockchain. Of course, if Bitcoin gets hacked with their SHA-256, we have much bigger problems than somebody's Bitcoin. But what responsibilities do you have as making a data company? Because this is important. People's data, the Equifax hack yeah. is you know, it was one of those things where everybody brushed it off their shoulder and everybody's data is just out there and their credit card information, their credit information, their financial report, whatever, everything's out there. But now if you have data, now that it might be not just clicks and locations and, and things like that, it could also be financial. And because if everybody uses your, your yeah. thing to maybe go into their bank system, now you team with Civic, their passports, their travel information, their everything could be just going through you guys. What responsibility do you have? Of course, we have a huge responsibility to build a secure system to begin with. So I would say on the encryption layer, um, as you just pointed out, if the encryption also that we use, for example, fails, there are you know bigger stakes at play in, in that case. But what I'd like to point out is that Datum as a company, we also don't have access to your data. And so we take your data, we encrypt this with your private key, and the data of each user and even of each service within each user is encrypted with a different key. And if you look at something like Equifax, that was just a big database that had data of hundreds 
165 million Americans that was basically not encrypted or just encrypted with one um, general key. So we're approaching this on a step-by-step basis, right? How can we really improve the security to this ultimate goal of having, you know, an open system that has been reviewed many times and has been deemed, you know, so far to be secure. And you can look at, at something like Bitcoin, right? The risk always exists that, you know, someone finds an exploit there. But as you rightly pointed out, so if someone breaks the encryption used in Bitcoins, we probably have larger issues um, at stake there. Do you have any crypto? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Who's one person that you you admire in the space? Yeah, it's a bit boring, but I'm uh, very very bullish on Ethereum. Of course, we are building on Ethereum, but I, I really believe Ethereum is is very different from something like Bitcoin. And so, of course, Vitalik Buterin is is you know a really smart guy. Um, that is like the and, most popular answer that I get ever. By the way, it's probably fifty percent of the people telling me Vitalik. Of course, he has a really interesting personal blog that I would recommend to anyone, and he just has a really good ability to explain really really complicated things in very kind of relatively simple terms. You know, again, I just like to point out there's, um, you know, so many people working in, in this space. And, and I'm actually very happy that there isn't that much of a, you know, person cult. Of course, in, in recent months or years, uh, you know, some people have been singled out. And, you know, there's guys like McAfee, um, you know, key opinion leaders, right? But it, it's down to, to everyone to figure out, you know, how, how much you value his um, opinion. But generally, what I find exciting is that actually in the blockchain space, there's still so many many contributors. And it's really when these people come together, right, towards a common goal, that exciting stuff is um, uh, happening. And just look at, you know, how many contributors there are for Bitcoin and Ethereum. Mm -hmm. So it's really not a single person um, thing. And of course, when we're talking about blockchain, the whole point is about decentralization. So it's really not about, you know, building up these mega leaders like Zuckerberg and and Bill Gates and and, and guys like these. And I kind of like to see that this space is at least so far not going too much in this direction. And when it is, it's mostly driven by the token sale money at the moment, right? And and of course, that's where McAfee fits in. But I do think that will actually, you know, potentially ebb down a bit in, in the coming months, right? The market is, is pretty overheated still in, in a way, yeah. Hmm overheated in terms of what has happened with ICO token sales and and the projects behind. And I look at this um, from a normal startup perspective, you're trying to gain traction. And this is based on very common metrics, like, you know, how many users do you have? What is your monthly uh, growth for new users? How many transactions do you have in your your blockchain network, for example? Mm -hmm. What's the volume of those? And very, very few projects have any of these uh, metrics out because mostly haven't launched any products. And so ultimately, at the moment, (laughs) value is just based on future speculation on on these teams implementing their big visions. And of course, in the startup area, more than 90% of startups fail outright. And I don't think that has been really factored in the current market, right? It's fine to place some bets, right? It's like gambling. You have 10 projects here, you know, buy a bit of of tokens or or shares or or whatever, right, of these 10 projects, and maybe one will become a unicorn. But if you look at the current valuations, we've gone way beyond that point. It's just not feasible that, you know, out of all these uh, and many, many big projects with valuations uh, over a billion, right, that they will ever actually build something that will be backed up by fundamentals. And this needs to happen at some time because that's what we're all waiting and, and hoping for, right? Is say, okay, blockchain will revolutionize and disrupt this industry and it's going to be a billion. And, you know, some token sales are, are they, it's a trillion dollar market, even though the value of all assets in the world is only something like five trillion or, or yeah, some number like that. So How much was Adam's yeah. token sale? 
Yeah, we raised uh, about 8 million uh, US dollars. At some point, our token market cap was uh, over 100 million um, US dollars. Um, and in a context of the market, well, okay. But in a context of, of where we felt we are as a company, right? And I say this very frankly, that's just too much in a way, right? And so now our, our market cap, I think it's about 20 million. And the reason I mentioned that is um, with our beta app, we've already sold more than 100,000 US dollars of data, which has been bought by advertisers that have been buying this using that tokens since 20th of December. And now we have these metrics that we can look at, right? We can look at, oh, okay, so in three months, you know, they made 100,000 US dollars. So maybe this year they're on track to make half a million. And so, yeah, maybe, you know, you could say, you know, market cap 20 million is somewhat justified. It's normal startup metrics, right? It's like, okay, how much revenue do you have? Put some multiplier against it 20, 30 times, even 100 times fine, right? But if you're sitting at somewhere like, you know, 1 billion and you you don't have any product yet, it's just a, a (laughs) long way to to get into this kind of uh, real world um, uh, fundamentals. Don't don't get me started on that, man. (laughs) You know, the market doesn't have enough data on these super basic things, right? How much did an ICO raise? How much do users do they actually now have? Mm -hmm, How much mm -hmm. revenue do they make per user? I I do see some companies are starting to collect this data. And I certainly know that the big financial guys, right, like like Bloomberg and, and Thomson Reuters, are talking to these companies to try and start to acquire this data. Because if you look from a financial professional's perspective, decisions are based on data. And it's very rare that you just invest in so many different companies just on a pure story and speculation. You raised $8 million. You developed an app. You have a team. You have a website. You have marketing. You have a product and you are making revenue. Am I missing anything out of that $8 million? So the $8 million we didn't spend yet, obviously, right? That would be bad. We'll actually release a financial transparency report mm-hmm. in a few weeks, uh, which is going to be qu- closing off the first quarter of our financials. And again, this is something we see very few uh, other projects doing. I don't really you know, understand why. We certainly have nothing to hide. We're excited to share you know, how much money we have spent so far, on what did we spend this, what's our future expectation in terms of you know, what's our current burn rate, how long will that last? Us, um, yeah, basic stuff that any startup <laughs> would share with their investors, and it's crazy in this space that we're not seeing uh, more of this. I'm um, sad. Well, my, yeah. que- my question to this is because we have another sister podcast. It's called ICO 101, and we go out and we talk to ICOs that are in either pre-token sales or ICO stage or whatever stage of ICOs or money collection, what what have you, before they you know hit exchanges and uh, reach their hard caps. Some of these guys are asking for fifty million dollars, seventy-five million dollars. Do you think anybody needs fifty million dollars to make software or $75 million to make an app? Look, probably not. Maybe there are some projects where, where this kind of funding is um, justified. But I, I do think ICOs are here to stay. But I think in the future, the amounts will come down. And then also the people who, who buy these tokens are going to demand a sort of phased approach. That's how normal startup funding works. And I think that this will come to the ICO um, market as well. Of course, at the moment, it's a kind of a bit of gold digging kind of mentality, right? right. So many projects try to raise as much as possible. The thing that is not so nice is that because projects are raising so much, things in the crypto world are getting really expensive. So what I mean is marketing to cryptocurrency enthusiasts and getting listed on exchanges. That is a huge thing. I'm not sure how much the public is aware, but the big centralized exchanges are, of course, charging extremely high fees. So we're talking millions of US dollars to secure a listing. Now, you know, look at a project like us. If you raise 8 million US dollars and that needs to last you for three or five years, 
years simply don't have the funds. But because so many projects raise so much money and because at the moment it's all speculation. So getting listed on a big exchange helps to push up the token price. And right. um, yeah, so there's many, many projects are happy to pay a million US dollars and, and far more, uh, frankly, to get their token um, listed on an exchange. I see yeah. that you're on KuCoin, Hobi, OK, Exchange. Uh, that's pretty much it. You're not in any big exchanges. But do you even need to be Correct. on a big exchange? Because, yeah, your revenue is coming from data. You don't need to be traded. When we distributed the tokens, the very first point where it was possible to trade was on, on Easter Delta. And I think for one day or so, we had a few hundred thousand US dollars of volume there, which is, you know, not bad for Easter Delta. So, you know, arguably, you, even something that's a bit hard to use, like Easter Delta, can be used to just provide this basic function of how do people get your token to basically use the utility. Centralized exchanges just provide kind of slightly better interface and, and, and a better UX um, around that. But ultimately, of course, again, the game at the moment is to get on these big exchanges to tap into the volume of the user base of the exchange because volume basically drives price. So we're still trying to get these exchange listings, but it's basically clear also from the money that we raised, right, that we can't pay our way into it. So we're talking to exchanges and trying to see, hey, look, you know, we think we're, we're a, a, you know, a solid project and we do have, you know, real demand from advertisers buying this token for its utility. So would you consider listing us? Of course, the reality is these exchanges every day get dozens of applicants who are very willing to pay high listing fees. Right, exactly, exactly. Why wouldn't you just sell the data token directly so they could use it to exchange data instead of an exchange? So there are some difficult AML and KYC um, issues there are basically establishing. So if someone gives you fiat, right? Someone gives you US dollars and you return them um, cryptocurrency to them, then you're basically acting as an exchange. And it's already hard to run a token sale that is compliant with all the regulations. And we, for example, did a KYC in our token sale, uh, which was still relatively early, right? So so last October, it was not, not every ICO or token sale did KYC back then, actually very few. This was uh, really complicated for us to implement that and do this. It's not a core thing that we do in our business to exchange, you know, fiat to crypto. And so we really need an exchange or an external party to handle that for us and, and you know, deal with all the regulation um, issues uh, you, around that. You know how silly that sounds that you need to do KYC AML to sell that token to somebody for fiat. But we're just talking about collecting people's data to use to manipulate them for elections and stuff like that for free. That's ridiculous. Yeah. If, if there is, would be another way to do it, would be great, right? But the reality is fiat is a, an offline real world thing and it's controlled by governments. And um, these governments want to um, impose their rules on us. So yeah, I mean, we are not super pro KYC. We're also not, you know, super anti KYC. I mean, personally, I'm somewhere in the middle, right? I don't want it to be used for terrorist financing. But then on the other hand, in many cases, KYC and all, you know, saying, oh, only accredited investors can participate also kind of really raises the bar and then, you know, really goes against the uh, crypto and, and blockchain and the right. ideas and, of decentralization. Yeah. I, I have one last question for you before we get off the phone here. There's been a lot of people that got into the space, say, in December, January. They might have bought some $17,000, $18,000 Bitcoin. They might have bought some, I don't know what dat datum was up to at that point, but maybe some pretty pricey datum and are holding some bags, pretty heavy bags, probably. If they're listening to this right now, maybe been in the space for three months or four months. 
What would you tell them? The real value has not been realized. Now, what I mean by that is blockchain has does have huge potential. It does have the potential to really disrupt a lot of industries. And when this actually happens and, and when this value is created, that's when we'll see that being reflected in the real price. So when is that going to happen? Who knows? But I would say for long term investors, I, I do still believe there's lots of value in the in the current market and whether you would bought Bitcoin back in December or at current levels would not make a huge difference if you look at you know the point ahead in time where this has disrupted industries and is creating so much um, value short term it's a speculators market it's not something that i'm active in at all um we're of course focused on on our project and not you know daily trading uh, up and down um, and what i would like to point out though is so i was in this space in uh, late 2013 where there was the first bitcoin bubble and there was something there, there was this altcoin shitcoin kind of um, phenomenon there where people would take a litecoin and change the name to you know china <laughs> coin or whatever else right. and make a new coin now, these coins didn't have any other um, utility or, or value outside of saying, hey, here's a new coin for this specific community, right? And of course, Doge, Dogecoin was created out of that and <laughs> right. became something that was worth billions. Why I'm mentioning that is because with these altcoins, very quickly, they were pumped up and then lost all the value and never recovered. You can still find some remnants of that or some zombies in coin market cap, right? <laughs> Which are still listed there and you see price. Oh, this was worth 100 US dollar at one point and now it's not even worth a fraction of SN. And, I, and honestly, again, many of the ICO and tokens at the moment are, of course, suffer the same fate. It's simple statistics. There's no reason why, why these ICOs should be any different from startups. So basically over 90% are basically trending towards zero. Um, and then that is that. And so you know, I would, uh, you know, try to place your, your bets, diversify back the projects that you really believe have uh, utility and also the potential to go after a large enough industry, right? So sometimes what you see is projects, they go after such minuscule and, and specific niche markets and try to talk that up. But if you really think about it, there is you know, no way that they could ever reach the market caps where they would need to be in, in order for the token price to, to go up sufficiently within those niche markets. So I am, I am Mr. In investor in small companies, low market cap. I, I hold now. I don't even trade anymore. I used to, you know, sling some coin around, but now it's just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm too busy for this shit. I, I would invest in something like Datum. $20 million market cap. I love it. You know, Patientory, I invested in Patientory and other these other small, smaller coins. What is your confidence that you're going to be around in two or three years? So I'd like to point out the one metric that we have on front of our homepage, which shows you the amount of debts, um, you know, that has been uh, received by by users actually for their data and and this goes up every few days as advertisers you know do these uh, email promotions for example at the moment um that's the that's the metric the kpi that we are focused on right um so we are in a lucky position that we already do create like um, volume and transactions and and revenue and that is something that you can easily track and when that stops basically moving then you'd know after months well you know something is not working out whether the business model doesn't work out whether there's no product market fit whether the team ran in a way, it uh, doesn't really matter. Um, so yeah, I think that's the best indicator of confidence that we can give to investors, right? To say, hey, look at the fundamental things that we are doing and the fact that we do have 
data buyers that we do have people that are willing to share this um, data and that we're really starting to get this product market fit and actually internally so we raise this money right we have a certain burn rate and and that just determines how many kind of years or, or so we have left but we're actually looking now at how do we actually sustain and survive this market in in the long term and and how much you know of this revenue is basically income for the developers that build services on top of our platform and then the way it works there is that you give a cut to the user and you as a developer take a cut for providing this service you develop a free game it collects all the data from the user you give 50 percent of the data revenue to the user and you keep the other 50 percent that's just what we're trialing out with this email blast we're retaining maybe roughly at the moment 10 percent or so of this revenue that is being made and so we're looking at hey we've got this 10 percent income every month already as a company team that provides this specific service on top of the datum network which is a core development and how can we grow that to become sustainable in the long term so of course now our burn rate is higher than you know the little amount we take in but we are in the lucky position that we have something that is working out and we are basically just trying to scale this to the point where it covers our burn rate where it can build the real business out of this yeah right on right on roger i'm not going to keep you any longer you want to go hit the slopes with your son thank you very much for coming on the show and is there anything else finally that you want to just let everybody know well download our app try it out become part of the new data economy um and so we like to say hashtag take back your data and hashtag get paid <laughs> right on man i love it thank you very much and you have a good day enjoy your skiing Thank you for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. Come to our Facebook group and let us know what you think of Datum and what do you think the possibilities of controlling your own data on the blockchain. Before we go, ApogeeCrypto.com, that's A-P-O-G-E-E Crypto.com, the best place to check your real-time prices, even though prices are falling like, oh my goodness, chicken little. The sky isn't falling. I think the sky has already fallen. There's like now the stars and the suns and the moons and the Lambos are falling off the moon. Oh, it's sad. It's sad. But don't worry. Don't worry. I just posted a good conversation with Doug Pike. If you're a Patreon, go check it out. It's a very good conversation about the current state of the markets, the future of the markets, and the current state of affairs of Vericoin and Virium. Also have to mention whenmoon.co. Check that site out for your news. And ICO 101 podcast. Please go to iTunes. Check out Aaron Paul's ICO 101 podcast. It's our sister podcast and Aaron's killing it. We will see you in the next episode of Crypto 101, where we talk to Priority Token. This is not an ICO. It's not a token. It is a consultancy group for ICOs. And we get into the heads. We get into the back inside information about how consultancies work with ICOs. We'll see you in that episode. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.